Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 38 of the Zoomer Sports Radio. And as always, I'm your host, Andrew Moody. And today I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by the big man on campus, the host of the fastest growing mafia history podcast known as The Sit Down. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeff Nadeau. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Um, I've heard some good things about what you're doing, and uh, you seem pretty passionate about it, so I'm glad to help. Uh, glad, Greg, uh, glad to talk to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh, I'm honored to have you on, and just a little background for everyone listening. Uh, Jeff and I actually met uh, on the Clubhouse app through this group we're both a part of called the Stoolies Clubhouse. That's correct. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I like to, I think for me, like, as I've grown through this business, and I've kind of grown up a little bit, I, now that I have like, a, okay, following, like, it's cool to give back to a lot of people that you know, maybe are trying to build the show, or, you know, I know those guys and those girls are really passionate about Barstool. And, um, you know, it's just cool to hear from like other people that work there and or people that have worked there and just kind of the different goings on. And, and I'm on a couple of different groups on Clubhouse. So, uh, yeah, those are good people over there. And, uh, you know, I know you uh, you're doing your thing as well. And you asked me to come on. So why not? Yeah, it's it's uh, an honor to have you on, as I said. And uh, let's get right into it. So you're a Philly guy, obviously. Big Eagles, big 76ers, but basically I want to know, when you were growing up in Philly, what made you such uh, become such a huge sports fan? Yeah, so when I was a kid, I, um, I've i kind of talked about this. My father is not a big sports guy. My dad's just, you know, he grew up kind of different than a lot of people, and he had to kind of start working really young, and he was just always someone that would always, you know, work and kind of provide the extras and stuff, so we would have a good life, but in turn, there were things that he didn't like. He wasn't a big sports guy. Like he would watch it because he knew I liked it. But the the sports thing really came from my grandpa, who uh, who was a big sports fan. Uh, you know, growing up, I would go hang out with him on the weekends, and I would every weekend between like the ages of like seven and thirteen, I was there every weekend. And he lived in the city. He lived in a row home, and I remember I would go there Friday night, and I would stay all the way until Sunday night, and. Uh, you know, he taught me about college football and college basketball. And, you know, I remember every um, winter we would, we would fill out the pools. We would cut them out of the newspaper and fill out the March Madness pools. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I, I fell in love with basketball pretty early. And I was always an Eagles fan. I was always a Sixer fan. But basketball was always the big thing for me, um, you know, growing up just watching college hoops. And then in 2001, uh, the Sixers went to the NBA Finals that year. And that winter before – uh, Temple University went to the Elite Eight, and I just kind of fell in love with basketball at that point. I had always enjoyed sports, but um, he kind of grew me up on sports. The Eagles were like a ritual every Sunday, and in our family, we would go to mass in the morning, uh, and then we'd, we'd watch football all day. And uh, you know, that was just something that I always remember. And he passed on in 2009, and ever since then, I've kind of uh, you know just been inundated with sports. Uh, I always. Uh, kind of tried to figure out how, what I would do in life. And, and, you know, I never thought like when I started doing all this content and stuff that, you know, I could kind of create an avenue to, to find a passion and, and make a living off of it. But um, yeah, I've always been a big sports fan and, and the gambling on it kind of uh, was hand in hand. And yeah, that's kind of how I just turned in. It, it was really super young. I was watching sports. Yeah. So obviously you're a 76ers, as you mentioned, you're a big basketball guy. Had a tough loss, Game Seven versus the Hawks in the conference semis. So, there's a big question for you: Is 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 the process over? Is it time to move on from Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid, and just clean slate, start all over next season, or do you try keeping these guys around? Well, Tobias Harris isn't going anywhere. Joel Embiid's definitely not going anywhere. Ben Simmons, though, I, yeah, I, th- I think. Look, I thought it was. I mean, frankly, I, I I was willing to give up on Ben Simmons a while ago. I I, I don't really want to feel vindicated but i am vindicated because ben simmons i've kind of said for a long time wasn't the right player for this team and and i think the last couple of weeks have have basically proven that i don't think there's any shot in hell ben simmons this year uh in in october november whenever the season starts uh what little trade value left you have to go out and try to go out and get the best player available and you know i think with the right package put together that i think they're capable of putting together I think they can go out and get a Damian Lillard type of player or a Bradley Beal. Um, the, the Ben Simmons era is coming and going in this city. 
Um, this city's done a lot of dumb things from a basketball standpoint, ownership group wise, but um, the continued obsession with Ben Simmons and also the continued obsession with, you know, just allowing him to do whatever the hell he wants to do. And he has no real, you know, pu- you know, not, not a punishment, but he has no real expectation. It's just, Oh, well, Ben will be Ben and he'll figure it out. You know, no, that's, that's not what we want to go on. Ben needs to to man up and be the professional that he is. And, yeah, he's gone. I, I wouldn't think there's any way in hell he's here by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, the Daryl Morey, Elton Brand have been putting a lot of uh, criticism, of course. And uh, Brian Colangelo back a couple years ago with the burner accounts, just the whole executives at Yikes. 76ers has just been under fire in recent history. And as you mentioned, the Dame Lillard trait, I thought that'd be a good fit for uh, Dame and uh, Joel. And not only Simmons out in Portland, there's going to be no pressure on him. He might find a way to gel possibly, but you're the number two. You're the second best player. You're the supposed second best player on the 76ers. And you only take three shots the entire fourth quarter, the entire fourth quarter in seven games. You only take three shots, in seven games. That, that just can't happen. And you can't be a superstar and can't not score in crunch time. Well, it also has to be discussed that Doc Rivers allowed that to go on. You know, he didn't sub him out at, most points he didn't uh, bring in maxi or anyone else um look i think on all levels it will work particularly here i mean obviously getting a player of the caliber of damian lillard would be you know electric but you know i still think damian lillard has a legacy to create uh, he's a great player he's one of the best scorers in the league but he's never won anything and you know we've seen like a chris paul not only does chris paul have an opportunity to win a title but you know, DeAndre Ayton and others do as well. And, you know, putting all those pieces together, uh, I think Damian Lillard coming here and the fact that you could be able to retain Harris, Curry, Danny Green, Shake Milton, you really can, I think, retain most of the core. Um, I don't see any reason to believe they're not the favorite next year in the East going into the NBA Finals or, or into the season. They're going to have to give up Thibault. They're probably going to have to give up Maxi and Simmons is gone as well. But it's time to make a blockbuster move here. I remember growing up, uh, the fall the Eagles for a long time would not give Donovan McNabb the weapons he needed to properly succeed. In 2004, they said, you know what? We're going to go out and get Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens comes here. They go to the Super Bowl in 05. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, this city has done that before, but they need to stop worrying about draft picks. They need to stop worrying about whether a young player is going to become the player we hope he can be. Uh, and go out and get proven commodities that are going to win you a title. You have very f- few years left of Joel Embiid in his prime. This is already a guy that has injury problems. You can't continue to wait around for Ben Simmons. Uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks, have have proven that. Yeah. So I, you set up perfectly. Uh, another thing on Twitter I saw was I forget who it was, but someone related to Philadelphia sports uh, tweeted that it was about uh, they told Steph Curry to come join Seth uh, in Philly and. Curry's a free agent after this upcoming season. What are the possibilities of that happening? Is it a just like a out of this world thought, or is it a real possibility? Well, I obviously, you know, the Warriors would be nuts to let that happen. Now we have to figure out if that's the impossible. I don't. I wouldn't imagine. Uh, I guess you know nothing is impossible in the NBA. You never know. But um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'll never keep things off the table, but I think the goal this year is to, if it's clear Damian Lillard wants out of Portland, then from the looks of it, it looks like he does. Um, you know, th- this is a team in the Sixers that Andrew of the last year have passed on uh, making a deal for Kyle Lowry. Uh, we can both agree that if the Sixers had Kyle Lowry, they would have beat the Hawks. Oh, 100%. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, they also made uh, the, the just ridiculously bad decision to not package a group together to go up and get James Harden. So look, I don't think you can make another mistake like it. And this, all this gaslighting that Ben Simmons is going to work on a shot. It's nonsense. He's not going to work on anything. He hasn't done it in four years. There's no reason to believe he's going to do it. Now the problem Ben Simmons has around him is, and we've seen this very rarely, but generally in the NBA, there are players that are babied excuses are made for them Ben Simmons, when you look at it, his entire support system and the people in his life are his family. His family give him no reason to um, to get better. They they just kind of 
enable him to be the player he is. He he won't go and work with other people, only his family. Um, I'm done dealing with this. I'm done dealing with him. And I think they are as well. And then you bring up Lillard not happy in Portland. I think that was made especially known to the public when uh, he uh, publicly stated that he wants Jason Kidd to be the coach. Yeah. And then Kidd pulled his name from the running, which I think that just is just uh, put the blood in the water that Lillard wants out of the state of Oregon. And I think Philly is a great fit for him. I mean, come into the Wells Fargo Center and got Embiid, maybe have a Philly cheesesteak, and it's, it's rolling in Philly. Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to have to put a massive package together to do it, like I said, but, you know, I, I think the return could be quite good. The problem that they have as well is, like, I just saw recently an article came out that now Nurkic says if, if Lillard goes, he goes. So, you know, they're in they're in some really muddy waters at this point, uh, and, and they have really no one to blame but themselves. They, for a long time, you know, allowed Terry Stotts to kind of drive them into the ground. And, um, and I'll also say this. When you look at the rest of the NBA and competent trades that I think the Portland Trailblazers would make, I'm not really sure that you can get a better grouping of players and picks than what the Sixers can offer you. Now, I think the only team that can maybe throw a wrench in would be someone like Boston, where if they said, hey, we'll give you smart Jalen Brown and and a few ones, then you know, maybe something like that. But I think the Sixers from a, from a standpoint offer the best ability as far as player to, to, to get back. Um, we'll see. It's going to be a fascinating summer for sure. Yeah. And just one last thing on the Sixers. Do you think uh, Doc Rivers is overrated at all? Cause I mean, he didn't really win when he first started in Orlando. Obviously he was almost on his way out of town in Boston before Garnett, uh, Allen and Pierce built that first big three. They only won one championship. And then he only made it to conference semis with uh, what was that? Uh, I forget. Uh, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. Clippers, I forget the yeah. nick. I forget the nickname they were called. Yeah, I forget. I forget the nickname they were called. And then he lost once again the conference semifinals. Uh, what what are your what's your stance on Doc Rivers as a coach? Uh, yeah, I, I said before I would have fired Doc Rivers. You know, the Monday after that loss, um, they're not going to do that. The problem this team has from an ownership standpoint is they're soft. Um, they're not really engaged and they will allow Doc Rivers to drive this team into the ground like Brett Brown did. They had a short, you know, they had a long kind of, uh, you know, leeway with him and they have a long leeway with Doc Rivers, it seems. Uh, Doc Rivers has had problems that have plagued him his entire career as a coach. He only won one title and it's because they had Kevin, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. Uh, you look at his problems out out in LA and then his problem here. Um, he loses a ton of game sevens. He puts his team into the wrong predicaments. And I thought his coaching in the last four games that series was atrocious. I, I don't, I don't know if there was a guy that could be worse for a team than he was over the four games or so. And he seemingly got a pass for it in this town because this town is uh, delusional when it comes to the Sixers at this point, they're not the fan base that, you know, I think they, they, you know, people think they are. They're a softer fan base now. And, you know, Ben Simmons, he's enabled as well. I mean, he's a guy that is just like Ben's family. He says, oh, it's all right. Well, you know, it doesn't matter that Ben doesn't shoot or make fast shots. He uh, does other things. What did they get to? Nothing. An exit in the playoffs in the second round. So it'll be the same with him. He hasn't changed anything. I, I'm blown away. Like Tyron Lue would have been a much better because uh, look, Tyron Lue in the fourth quarter of those games would have said, Ben, get the hell over to the bench and sit down. Maxie's in. And Maxie may have propelled them to win. So, yeah, it's pretty pathetic. Uh, I would have fired him as well, but they're not going to do that. And then let's uh, cross uh, 11th Street over to the link. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the Eagles this upcoming season? Obviously, got a new era in town. The Wentz, uh, the Wentz Doug Peterson era is over. It's Jalen Hurts' first full year as a starter. You got the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, as a new weapon. Miles Sanders, of course, as well in the backfield. What's the new vibes over in Philadelphia about this Eagles team? Yeah, I think they're pretty positive for the most part. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that this probably isn't a Super Bowl. I mean, they're not a Super Bowl caliber team, I think, on paper. But, you know, I don't think it's out of the question that they can win a division. And, and look, you're, this is coming from a guy that's pretty hard on these teams. 
Um, I'm pretty excited about them, to be honest. I, I like what I saw out of Jalen Hurts last year. I think the future could be bright for him. Uh, you mentioned Devontae Smith. I mean, that was the main thing you wanted to do in the offseason, get a big receiver in here that you can make plays. I also all of a sudden like their receiving core. They got a guy I think that can be a, a game changer in Smith, a, a game changer in Reger. You know, a, a sure-handed guy in Fulgham. They've got some speed in the uh, in the kind of depth. You mentioned Sanders. They have a fully healthy offensive line. And that was one thing last year that I think people almost forget. This was a team that for large parts of the season had one healthy line in Jason Kelsey. Brandon Brooks is out for the year. Sam Mala was out. Dillard was out. Lane Johnson was out. So there was a lot of injuries. They were playing with third and fourth string guys at certain points in the offensive line. I think offensively, they're going to be pretty good. Uh, they've got a new system, which I'm happy about. I think the Doug Peterson stuff grew tired. Uh, and defensively, I still think they have some moves to make. They have to bring in another corner. I don't think they're going to capably go into the season with uh, without another corner opposite Darius Slay. But they have a good pass rush. I think there's some positivity around the linebackers, and I like their safeties. I'm just a little worried about their corners because this is a division with some really good receivers in it. I, I just wish they would have got one more starting quarterback because at the end of the day, um, you know, if you can't get to the quarterback, they're going to get shredded defensively. So that's my worry with them. And I have a feeling I'm going to come to roost there. They got to go out and find a way to get, you know, a Steven Nelson or someone like that. Uh, maybe they'll make a move to someone that doesn't make a team somewhere and he can come in and help, but we'll see. I'm high on the offense. Now it's high on the defense. Yeah, I mean, this offense, it's looking better. Obviously, you missed out on uh, Justin Jefferson because of uh, Howie Roseman's decisions. Uh, and yeah. I think you guys took uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over, that DK, hasn't panned out over DK Metcalf. Like, I thought that you could be in better uh, better positions, but I think your uh, backfield is great with Miles Sanders. Obviously, of Jordan Howard, who had 2,000-plus yards at the Bears at one point. I'd like to see something out of him. Carry on Johnson's had some decent years up in Detroit and then Boston Scott. So I'm like, you have other options just besides Miles Sanders in that backfield. Yeah. And they drafted Kenneth Gainwell as well in the third round. And I think they're pretty high on him as well. The kid out of Memphis who you didn't play last year because he opted out, but yeah, look, um, you know, they've made some really bad decisions from personnel standpoints at the receiver position recently and at corner. I mean, they haven't really had a high level corner in here outside of Slay since, you know, Asante Samuel in 2010. So, you know, they, they continue. And I, I, that's why I was really unhappy with some of their draft picks this year, because, you know, I thought they really kind of reached and, and made it, you know, all about the, the defensive line and the offensive line, which is fine, but you should have got another corner in here. And I'm not sure that the, the individual they picked is high enough level. Uh, we'll see. I, I think they're probably a team that's slightly better than 500. We'll see if that's enough to win the division and maybe sneak into the playoffs. But they go how Jalen Hurts goes. If Jalen Hurts plays well, you know, maybe they could surprise some teams. And if he doesn't, um, they're going to be picking a quarterback next year. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the historically weak NFC East. And this Eagles team. Well, who- the NFC East is going to be very good this year. I'm going to tell you that right now. I, I don't think it's going to be the – the, the, the NFC East in the last couple of years. Dallas is going to be much better. I think Washington's a playoff type of team, and the Giants are are going to take a step forward. So I don't think this division is going to be what it's been recently, Andrew. Well, yeah, I, that's a good point. Uh, and then, look, talking about the cornerbacks uh, situation, you obviously got Dallas with his great receiving core, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. Then you got Washington with Terry McLaren. And it's going to it's gonna be tough division games. So I think – if the Eagles want to make it, they don't have to win four out of two or at worst the 500 in the division. Yeah. I mean, they have an easy schedule. They have the easiest schedule in the NFL. So, I mean, that obviously bodes well. And look, it's all about health, man. I mean, you know, the offensive line is going to stay healthy and you know, Rager missed some time last year and you know, they need to get some of this depth to kind of produce and you'll give you, you know, 20, 30, 40 catches. And, and, you know, Goddard needs to take the next step at tight end. There's a lot to be excited about with the offense. I just, I hope the pass rush can, can kind of do its thing. And, um, you know, I, I just, if you can add one more corner, like a higher level corner that can play every down, I'm feeling pretty good about this season, but uh, we'll see. There's a lot of time. We haven't even gotten to camp yet or anything. So uh, sky's the limit. We'll see. I don't think it's out of the question that they win these though. No, not at all. Has a guy like Kyle Fuller signed with anyone yet? Cause I know he was released by the bears and I'm thinking Kyle Fuller could be a great fit here. Yeah. There's a couple of guys that I, I think, 
you know, that, that are kind of interesting. Kyle Fuller, I think, I think Denver signed yeah, him, he but did, he did sign with Denver. I just looked it yeah. up. But, but like a guy like Steven Nelson, I mean, he was with, uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a guy that I think was generating a lot of interest uh, in this town. He's a free agent. I'm really, again, not too sure why the Eagles haven't pursued him. Uh, I think he could be much better than, than anyone you have here. Now, this is a guy that had two picks last year, 48 tackles. Um, you know, was a pretty good player. So I think he's better than anything they have. They, they need to do something. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they can't do it. Uh, Steven Nelson, you said uh, Richard Sherman's still unsigned. Yeah. Uh, EJ Gaines for Buffalo. He's a lot of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go for Buster Scrine. He's way past his prime. If, if, if I had to make like a bet on whether they'd sign a corner or not, it would, it would definitely be. Yes. I, I don't, I still think there's another shoe to drop with this group as far as from the corner position. Because again, the secondary is actually you know, decent. I, I think the safeties are, are pretty good. Uh, they just need a corner opposite of Slay. I think their nickel group's okay. Uh, you got Avante Maddox, Kevon Seymour. I just think you need another starting quarterback because having a guy like Slay is great, but you could just attack the other side. So, yeah, they've got to figure that out, and we'll see if they can do it. All right, let's move on here. So, Jeff, uh, I want to I want to know a little more about what you did before joining uh, Barstool Sports because I feel like I, everyone knows you from the or for at least uh for what, who I know knows you from the start of Barstool. What'd you do before uh, Barstool? How'd you grow your fame? Yeah. So I've been, uh, I mean, I've been in the sports betting space for a while. Uh, I, I started making videos in uh, probably what 2010 ish. I mean, it's pretty long ago. Uh, and the goal of everything at that time, I, I had a, a regular job. I, I worked at a bank. I sold cell phones. I had a couple different jobs. Um, and I would do stuff in sports betting on the side. And when I initially started, the goal was content was starting to take off offshore and like offshore companies. And they were paying people to, you know, break games down and things like that. And there was a company at the time, uh, they're actually still around today called SBR. There were a, a Costa Rican company that would do previews of NFL and college football games. And I reached out to the guy that handled everything. And I said, Hey, you know, I don't have a following. I don't really have a ton of experience. I said, but I can break a game down. I work for free. Um, can I just do a couple of games a week? And um, he allowed me to come on. And you know, I think the goal with that was to build up a little bit of a following and then, you know, win obviously, and then hopefully get there and get my own show of some sort and, and maybe make some money off of it. Um, I was selling picks and, and doing that kind of stuff, which I've done in the past and, and whatever, but I started there. And then the goal was to, to get my own show, which I got, I got a few different shows at SBR and I built up a fan base. I probably got to like five or 10,000 followers. And then, um, you know, then I started getting paid at SBR and I was still working a regular job and, and doing my thing. But uh, the goal was to kind of leave quote unquote, the real world where, where like you wake up and, and go to a company or a boss or whatever. A nine to five job. Yeah. And, and, and stereotypical. Yeah. And try to create, you know, avenues for myself where I can make money in different ways. And, you know, any gambler that does content or, or, or does gamble, you know, there, there are very lucrative ways to make money. One of them is selling picks. I mean, I could sell my information during college basketball season and do quite well with it, but it's also, it's also a lot of pressure. It's not ideal to sell picks to people. So I've just been continuing to make the right connections and try to, um, you know, get paid to do content, which I'm still doing today, but the barstool stuff kind of, was created, I mean, pretty long ago. I've been in the, the sphere for a while. I, I met with, uh, I, I used to talk to Big Cat a lot. This was back 2018 or so. This was back when they were at the old office and they actually didn't even have any gambling content back then. This was before the legalization of sports betting in America and everything. And I remember I used to contact Big Cat and we would talk about college basketball. I'd give him picks and I actually did pretty well for him. And you know, one day he said to me, you know, hey, do you want to come talk to to Dave about some of your ideas? And I, I've always been pretty connected to Barstow. I've pretty much been connected to Barstow since they came to New York. I, I still knew a little bit about Milton and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I remember Dave contacted me one day and he said, hey, you know, do you want to come up to New York and, and chat about some of your ideas? And I went up there and I went up to the old office and I, I talked to him for a while and he said, look, you know, we don't really have anything going on yet, but you know, let's try to get in touch when all this goes down. This was kind of imminent at the time, sports betting. And, 
you know, things kind of went cold for a while and they actually tried to hire me back. And Davis talked about that. They tried to hire me back um, the year before the pandemic. So 2019. And at the time, Andrew, I was, I'll just be honest. I was doing really well selling picks. Like I was making really good money. And I was at a time in my life where I think from a personal level, I wasn't really happy. Um, I had some things going on and, and they offered me a job and I had to move to New York. And for me, it just wasn't something I could just quickly get up from and leave. I had customers, I had a business and I declined them at that point. And, you know, Dave and I stopped talking for a while and then, early 2020, he contacted me and said, Hey, you know, um, I see you're still doing content. He said, would you want to come up and do some pick central stuff? And maybe we can try to resume talks and try to get you here. Cause this, by this point, gambling was a thing. They had stuff going on. They were at the new office and, um, roundabout way. I went up there. We kind of came to a deal on, I'd be hired March of 2020. A week later, coronavirus happened. And I remember Dave contacted me and said, hey, you know, we're kind of stuck until this passes. And August came of last year. He reached out and he said, hey, you know, what if we get you to come aboard for this college hoop season? And we'll give, you know, we'll do a six month thing. We'll try it out, see how it goes. You could still live where you live, you know, whatever. Uh, so that's how I got to Barstool. And that's a great story. And before I bring up my next point, uh, you were talking about selling picks, how much the pressure just been. Just look at uh, Ben Mintz right now in the College World Series. <laughs> just he, he was ice cold. It, it was almost hilarious. Every game from the Super Regionals to uh, to NC State finally uh, beating NC State or Miss, NC State beating Mississippi State, he was getting everything wrong. And the Vanderbilt NC State game, he was talking about Jack Lighter's no hitter, and they had a home run during the video. It was just insane. Yeah, but you know what, Andrew, and, and this is something that I think Ben. I don't know if he realizes. I feel like he hasn't realized it yet. I realize it now that I'm not there. Um, you could be the butt of the joke, which he is. But you know what? You know what? You know the only thing that's changing for the better that actually matters? His follower account is going up every day. And he's creating a lane at Barstool, regardless of what it is, right? And, you know, he might have to live, live it down for a while, whatever. But – what Ben Mintz is doing is benefiting him in the long run, which I, I think whether it's negative or positive, you want people talking about you. And that's always something that I've accepted. There are a lot of people that don't like me because I am a certain way and I don't really give a shit. But I also will say that, you know, you have to be interesting. You have to be compelling in a way. You have to be someone that maybe someone doesn't like, but they still watch you. And with Ben, I think the difference between what him and I were doing is I had – you know, on a certain given year, I had 250 people betting everything I bet. And I remember the first year I sold picks, 2019, the year before, 2018 was a great year for me. I remember this is, and you can ask anyone that followed me back then. It was free knowledge. I gave out picks that year in college basketball. I think I won 46 units of profit. And this was just one or two games a night, every night. Like I was, I was incredible that season. I think I had kind of created the mystique of me from a gambling perspective in college basketball that year. And then the next year I sold picks. And I remember like I did super well that year that like there was a two month period where I just, I had a ton of people buying my picks and you know what happened the first week of college basketball that year, I started out. Oh, and nine. And I remember the night where I lost the ninth game. It might've been the worst night I've ever had in this business. I was, I, I didn't know where to go. Like I had so many people, my, my reputation seemed to be gone. Like I had tons of people. I want my money back. This is ridiculous. There was just so much pressure on me. And I, you know, there's a gift and a curse of selling picks. You can make money doing it, but you know, it's all great when you're winning, but when you're not winning, uh, it, it can feel really bad. Cause you're, you're, you're costing other people money and you know, I can cost my own self money, you know, or if you tell me on a free pick, but when people give you money to pick good games, you know, it, it can be really tough. Yeah. And then, so uh, as you're saying, like Ben Mintz, he's like creating his own uh, path at Barstool at being a, the college baseball guy and being two, the bad gambler that everyone can fade. Right. And, you know, I guess like Ben will always, you know, be on a crusade and he should be that 
you know, I think deep down, he's probably a pretty okay gambler. I think he's just, he caught a little cold streak and it just happened to be, and look, I've been there, man. Like I said, you know, I could have started that season where I went 0-9. I could have started 9-0 and and it'd be like, oh, you know, right at the perfect time, he's doing well. It just sucks. You know, sometimes that's how it goes. You know, you're on the stage and and you lose. But my advice to Ben Mintz and to anyone that goes to Barstool, do not search Dave out to give him picks. If he comes to you, and look, if I were Ben, you know what I would have said in that situation? When I was approached by Dave to say, what the hell's going on? You don't have to tell me. Do what you want, bro. Like, you know, I was surprised he didn't say that, to be honest. And I know people will be like, why would you say that, Dave? Because, look, you chose to tell me. I didn't search you out and give you the picks. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I think Ben's just got to use it to his advantage and, you know, create a lane. And, you know, I remember a few weeks before all this happened, he was getting ridiculed for, for not being in the office, you know? So, you know, I think he's created a, a lane for a long time in a few short weeks. And, you know, if it's to be the bad gambler, create other avenues, you know, where you don't have to give out picks. Yeah. And then going back to what you said, uh, August, 2020, uh, Portnoy uh, brought you in to do some college basketball uh, content. And uh, there was this proposed show, uh, Men of Honor, who, which was going to be an absolute hit. It was gonna be it was gonna be you and of course Rico Bosco, which you're either a writer or a skell. I'm obviously I'm obviously a skell as okay. a and as I'm blocked by Rico Bosco, which I don't know why. I think it might be because I liked one of your tweets. I liked one of uh Feidelberg's tweets from KFC Radio. And for those listeners who aren't totally aware of Barstool, uh I I, I think that's the only way because I mean Rico in the past had had liked some of my tweets. I had talked about like Illinois basketball I would tweet out and it's just uh what what was the whole like why did he not want to do the show and why does he hate you so much uh you know I've been asked this question many times you know, anytime I do a podcast I mean someone asked me about it um I, I don't know to be honest I, I always say that I don't know why he doesn't like me um I don't think there's a legitimate reason I don't know him personally I don't uh I haven't been in the circle that he was in or I haven't said anything bad about him or anyone uh, without being kind of, you know, made to say something just because he said something about me. But I don't know. I I can't ever tell you. My thought has always been that I think he's just threatened by what I can do. I I think he realizes that there are people out there that will come into the Barstool realm that, you know, he thinks that he's better than and and they shouldn't be getting any shine because he should get all the shine. And, you know, I, I don't know why he is the way he is. You'd have to ask him that. I've kind of given up on trying to figure him out. Um, I just know that when I go work somewhere or I'm part of something, uh, you know, I try to give 100% to it. I try to, you know, even if I don't like someone, I'm willing to work with them if it means you know, the good of the company or whatever. And, you know, it got to a point with him there where, you know, he would say that, you know, oh, well, I don't care about him and, and he only talks about me, you know, to, to make himself, uh, you know, bigger or whatever. The truth of the matter was he was doing things that were affecting my, my job there. You know, I, um, and I've said it before, I don't care if you don't like me, you can hate my guts. You can call me whatever you want, but if you start going at people and telling them, Hey, don't work with him. Or if you work with him, you're done with me. And your people started to get worried. You know, they don't want to upset the apple cart. You know, a funny story about the show I'm doing now, the sit down. I asked Ben Mintz to do that show back in February. Uh, He told me he would do it. He was in Uh, about an hour later. He texts me and says, "Uh, I can't do it. I'm too busy. Not the time. I know for a fact, he wasn't too busy. Uh, I, from what I understand, he probably got contacted by Bosco and said, Hey, look, if you work with him, you know, I'm done with you and you got to see me every day. So you better pick me. Uh, and it was just shit like that, that really kind of got to me and I, I it annoyed me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a longstanding thing. I, I wish him the best. I, I wish he would, uh, you know, kind of think differently. Cause I think we could have something special. I don't really need to work with him though. I don't even need him to like me. I just need him to, to stop polluting, um, people and and then because there are people that are legitimately scared because if they work with me they think that he's going to not like them or something and i don't know i thought that was a bit toxic frankly yeah he not only does it with you he does it with uh uncle chaps uh or chapsky uh captain cons uh feidelberg for a little but i think they're yeah and i want to make this clear bro like none of that is an act right he generally like 
is threatened by people, you know, and I've always said, you know, and I'll say this till the day I die, you know, if he could properly tell me what his issue with me is, because he doesn't know me. I've never spoke to him on the phone. I've never met him in person. Um, I don't hang out, like I said, with the same people he does. He doesn't know anything about me, you know, and anything that I've ever said about him was because I was provoked. Okay. This is a guy that has sent individuals after me uh, to, to kind of pollute people about me. They've said things that aren't true about me. I've had people that have, that have made profiles about my family, like all that kind of shit. So it's like, for me, I just want to work and do my thing. And um, yeah, I just got to a point at Barstow where like, I love the company. I love being there. I was definitely willing to, after the contract ended, I wanted to stay there. I want to find a home. I still want to find a home. I'm still don't have a home, you know, and, and I, I still want to be there. Um, I just got to a point where it was like, you know what, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to maybe give it up, give it a couple months and maybe we can go back to it at some point. But um, yeah, I hope I can get another opportunity there. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And then another thing, I think, I believe you said in the stool scenes way back uh, in 2020, um, when you're talking about the men of honor podcast that, uh, and I agree with you hundred percent on, you, you have proven that you don't need other people to do content. You're no, doing it perfectly. No. You have your show with PixWise. You have to sit down. And you you had a, a big man on basketball, of course, at Barstool. With Rico, I mean, I feel like he needs Marty. He needs Brandon Walker on Pick Central. He needs Ben Mintz. Oh, uh, let me ask you Marsh. something. We're, we're filming this on June, 20, June 28th, right? Yeah. Do you remember the last time you heard about Rico Bosco? Uh, I haven't heard about him in a while. Interesting. Have you heard about me recently? I, I, I have heard about you recently. Okay. Like, there, there's, Why there's do you room. think that is? Because I'm doing shit outside of what he – he's only interesting when I'm around or someone's goofing on him, you know, or when Dave and Big Cat are goofing on him. That's the only time he's interesting. Look at right now. You haven't heard about him in weeks. Why do you think that is? Because he's not doing nothing. It's – you know what will happen, Andrew? Around August – Pickham will start being talked about and people will start breaking his balls and they'll start involving me and, and other people and get him into a tizzy. Uh, listen, as I've said before, and I'll say this again, I have no ill will towards the guy. I'm willing to put bygones, to be bygones. I'm not asking to have a barbecue with him every night when we go home from work. I just don't want you screwing with people and, and, and telling them shit that isn't true about me. You know, at the end of the day, I have a lot of hate. I had a lot of hate in my heart about him for a while, but I don't hate him. I have no issue with him. I wish him the best. I hope he succeeds. I think some of this content he does is really interesting. Um, but the truth is, um, if I had the resources he did for that show that he has, Benchmob, um, I don't know if you've seen where that show is in the rankings, but if I had the resources that he did, I would have the most popular pockets in the college basketball realm. It's that simple. Because you know why? And the sit-down has been no more clear from that. Okay. I don't have people propping me up right now. He does. They threw every resource they could muster at him with that show. I have 300,000 less followers than all those guys combined. And there were certain times my show was better than theirs. And I did everything on my own. I had my own producer. I had my own social guy. Everything we did on that show was what we did. If I had the resources with that show, it would be a top gambling show. It's that simple. Um, you know, but it is what it is. I don't cry over spilled milk. We'll see if we get an opportunity. And I'll tell you right now, and whoever listens to this, make sure you hear what I'm about to say. If I get another opportunity there, you heard it here first. I will be a moneymaker for that company. I'm not just going to go there and collect a paycheck. I have a new lease on what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. Um, I believe the show that I have now and the college hoop show and all that kind of different stuff. I think it could be very good uh, if given the right opportunity. So uh, yeah, I'm going to just take it how it comes and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I was, I was just going to mention that rumor has it you uh, might be joining back Barstool to start a football season. Like uh, what, what has Dave uh, told you that Dave? Portnoy? Well, it's all rumor uh, for the most part, you know, what you hear on Portnoy podcast, that kind of stuff is what I hear. Um, you know, someone sent me something the other day that, you know, he had mentioned, we need to have a sit down with those guys. Um, I'm, I'm ready. I'll go to the end of the earth to, to meet Dave. If I have to, you know, I, uh, I have, I think at this point, a really legitimate plan on what this show is, uh, and what I believe the show can be just with a little backing behind me. 
Um, we have a commodity now that people like. Uh, we've done pretty well without much promotion at all, frankly. Uh, there are so many ways to take the mob genre, the mob history genre, crime, that drama, that genre in general. Um, so yeah, I just, I just need to sit down with the guy, you know, cause I think, um, you know, I'll never say that I think I can be caller daddy or anything like that, but I, I do think I could have a very popular show that I think a lot of people would be enticed by whether you're 65 years old or, or 25, you know, everybody's seen Goodfellas, everybody's seen uh, the Godfather, everybody knows who John Gotti is and Al Capone. And I think all this stuff, yeah, all this. Yeah, exactly. And I think what becomes of this show is obviously the show itself, but you know, interviews and and sitting down with mob uh, actors that were in movies. And um, you know, I have ideas that I haven't disclosed to anyone that, you know, from an investigative standpoint that, that we can do in the mob realm and, and in the crime realm that, you know, really would warrant anything that has really ever been done there. So I have a lot of plans. I'm just hoping for a meeting and I haven't heard much of more than you have. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm sure in August or, or whenever, uh, when Dave's back from vacation, I'm sure we'll figure it all out, but uh, you know, I'm here. And, and, and as I said, I'll be a free agent. So, uh, you know, if, if it's all right, I'll be there and, and I won't be leaving this time. And then to uh to answer your previous question, when was the last time I heard of Rico Bosco? It was on a stool scenes when uh, it was probably your first or second episode on the sit down. We're gonna talk about that real uh, right after this. Uh, mm. It was uh when Portnoy and Big Cat were uh, uh like taunting Rico, talking about how uh, awesome your show is on the <laughs> stool scenes, and they were listening to it, and like Rico had to leave the office. Yeah, it's um, you know, and it's a, it's a fascinating thing because you know I think if, if you're a barstool, you know whether you, you know whether you like someone or not, you know, personally, right? You know, I think your ultimate goal is you want everyone to do well because if let's say I have a podcast and it becomes big, or or Chaps is a podcast or whoever, uh, you know Dana or, or Caleb or whoever they have a podcast that grows and makes the company money that's great for the brand. That's great for you personally. Right. I've never understood like, and again, I don't think if I were a gambler, it would be as big a deal with him. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of happy about this new show I have because he's not in that realm. He doesn't know anything about that life. He doesn't know anything about that stuff. He doesn't have some of the connections that I have in it. So I think I'm safe there, but I've always been fascinated by him and not liking what I'm doing, because I think if I do well and he does well and we both do well, then everybody does well. And I've always been kind of fascinated by that, that he doesn't want me to do well or he wants me to fail. It doesn't make sense to me. And one final thing, talking yeah. about how you thought when one when one person does well, the whole company does well. Yeah. When one person's podcast grows, he brings in a lot of people who may not know Barstool and say, for I'll use myself as an example. Big Cat, like back when he was doing those vi- videos at the Shed Aquarium, like that were shot on like an iPhone three, or Big Cat Saves Detroit, that drew me in a bar stool. Then yeah. I learned about Portnoy and all sure. these people, and now I'm stuck in. Now you know it of everyone. Yeah, now I'll now I'll be listening to uh, Anus with Nick Tarani and Owen Roeder and KB, or I'll sometimes uh uh check on what's going on with uh, uh the what's going on in hockey with whiz and biz or wit and biz and spin chicklets. It's just all of it opens up other opportunities, especially for, you know, from a gambling standpoint, because I'll be real. Anyone that has an interest in mob history, there's probably a pretty good conclusion that they like sports as well. And you know, they, be, you know, maybe they're gamblers and it would all go to him. I, I, I guess I just don't understand it. I, I guess it's a pride thing with him. I, I, I think he's truly a, a fascinating individual. Uh, I, I think if he were ever to be interviewed where he would just no holds barred and tell the truth about everything, I, I think it would be one of the most fascinating interviews ever, frankly. I think he's a weird individual, interesting guy, but we'll never know. I don't, I don't know why he would behave like that, but um, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me or you, but whatever. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's have a sit-down and talk about the sit-down, uh, the Ma- a Mafia History Podcast that you host, and uh, Blackjack Fletcher, another person who was kind of yeah. squeezed out of Barstool. Uh, <laughs> uh, you do your show with them. Um, what got you so interested in Mafia History and uh, decided uh, to start a podcast on Yeah, it definitely is an interesting one. Uh, you know, as far as what got me interested in the mob, I think that's unclear. 
I guess I've always been fascinated by, by the outlaw, I guess. And I think that's something that America is mystified with as well. Oh, and I think a lot of people are, are, are not rooting for the bad guy in the movie, but you know, they're, they're fascinated by the mob or, or Jesse James or, or, or whoever. And I remember, I remember vividly when I was younger, my parents are big Sopranos fans. Sopranos came out in 99. And I remember my parents' bedroom faced a hallway. And I remember I, they would have the door open and they would have the, the, the show on. And I remember there were days where I would like just sit out there and watch the show. And, and I guess I'm not sure why, um, but even as a young kid, like you know, 12, 13, 14, I was always infatuated with like, uh, you know, gangster culture and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure why, uh, I've always said if, if I grew up in the sixties and, uh, I lived in maybe a city, I, I definitely would have went into the mob. I think I had just too many people that kind of think it'd get to me, but I've just always been infatuated by that kind of stuff. You know, I remember when I was a young, you know, older teenager with you know, 18, 19 years old, I, I remember seeing some of the movies about Goodfellas and God, I just, I don't know, became interested in it. And I just went from there. It's always been kind of a, a, a favorite of mine. I have a ton of books that I've read about it. And I've always felt that it was a compelling genre that no one really talked about. And, you know, now it's tough to talk about the mob from a, 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 a today standpoint, because, you know, the mob is so underground now. And, um, you know, it's not as easy to talk about, but I always knew that people enjoyed the history of it. And, you know, I could always feature a really different, interesting, compelling people. And I thought, you know what, this year, I, I'm going to make sure I do it. I'm going to try to see if we can latch on with something. And, you know, I've always had some interesting connections in that world that, that I could go to and get some information from or whatever. And I just kind of threw it out there. And, you know, it's been really popular. I mean, we've, we've, we've had, we've gotten over 112,000 listeners and 12 episodes and, you know, it continues to grow. And, and that's why I do podcasts like this, because, you know, as you said, you know, maybe someone listening will, will say, you know what, I like Goodfellas. We did an episode on, on that and we've done an episode on, uh, on John Gotti and all these different guys. And we've also are doing people that people don't know not a ton about, like, uh, you know, Tommy Patera, who, who was, uh, when he was a kid, he became an expert in karate and he took a liking to karate, he went to Japan. Uh, then he came back and was like a lean, mean fighting machine and became a hitman for the mafia. So there's a lot of really compelling people that I think a lot of people don't know about. And we try to bring you those people as well. Yeah. And as you bring up uh, America's uh, just like fascination for crime and yeah. mafia, just looking at the top five podcasts right now, number one on Apple is Crime Junkie. And number yeah. four is more of a true crime story. And I know The Ringer has some crime stuff. Like there's like Crime Daily. And uh, a lot of people are just fascinated. Obviously, some of our movies, action-based, uh, just mob, uh, Goodfellas. Uh, you mentioned uh, The Irishman, of course, which was a hit on Netflix. Was that two years this year, last year? Two years ago, yeah. Two years ago. Just everyone like – I mean just – any movie with Joe Pesci in it, that's not Home Alone. I mean, Home Alone's even a crime movie. I mean, you look at, um, I mean, you look at really TV. I mean, the greatest series probably ever, or two two of the best series ever, were both, you know, very connected to organized crime, whether it was The Wire, which was black organized crime, and Sopranos, which was Italian organized crime. And then you have some of the greatest films ever made were mob films, whether it was The Godfather or Goodfellas or A Bronx Tale or you know, all these different films. And, you know, I think people also have to realize like the mob controlled this country really from the thirties until the eighties. Right. I mean, some of the biggest moments in, in history in this country were mob connected, whether it was JFK or the Bay of pigs or, or, or other things. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that in the forties, you know, the, the U.S. government went to Lucky Luciano and said, we need help with Benito Mussolini. So you know, this is all stuff that that we've seen that that's went on and people have always been infatuated by it. And you mentioned some of the top podcasts. You know, I know I might say something here that I'm about to say that's crazy, but I truly believe with the right people behind me with the show that I have, I think it could be one of the most popular shows at that company or at any company. Uh, I just remember even when I would write blogs about the mob, I mean, they would always get really well viewed. Uh, it's just continuing to offer compelling stories, compelling people, compelling interviews, hopefully, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, just keep trying to tell a story. We have a beginning, a middle and an end. We don't want to kind of ramble on, but we also don't want to be too short. We want to tell you stories that maybe you didn't hear and also some stuff that maybe you can share up in your own facts. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, another other movies that like involve the mobs. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, The Departed. Uh, uh, the Irish mob with, I mean, an all, not having an all-star, even like a legendary crew of Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Wahlberg, Damon, uh, Martin Sheen, and then Scarface, uh, obviously the nickname for the, the great Al Capone. And that was one of the episodes I've listened to at the sit down. I've listened to Scarpa and uh, Al Capone so far, kind of working backwards in the order. But I mean, I've just learned so much that I I never thought, but I'm so interested. Like Scarpa weighed 55 pounds at the end of his death because yeah. AIDS just destroyed it. And it's not like he, he, got, he got AIDS through uh, getting blood drawn and one of his guys was doing steroids and had the needle, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's actually fascinating because Gregory Scarpa was a vile racist. He hated black people, hated gays, and he did not want blood from the bank at the hospital because he was worried that blood would be taken from black people that he would get in his arm. And he uh, you know, basically said, I want my underlings and family to donate blood. And little did he know, as you said, one of his underlings had HIV and he ended up getting HIV and that's how he would die years later. But yeah, you know, it's just so many compelling stories. You know, you mentioned the departed. I mean, the departed is, is basically, you know, Whitey Bulger's story. You know, the, the Whitey Bulger character would be Nicholson. Uh, Damon would be the, the, the John Connolly character. And, you know, you have the DiCaprio character, which is, um, you know, just kind of a, an ancillary figure. So it's, it's a fascinating kind of story. All those stories you mentioned, you know, the part, that's one of the great movies ever. Um, there's so many connections that we just don't make to, to real life. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy this week. Um, you know, I think one of the also compelling things about organized crime is that there's a lot of black organized crime, you know, whether it's, you know, drug gangs, um, you know, like groups like BMF. Uh, we're talking about a guy this week uh, in Philadelphia He's probably the most dangerous individual in the history of this state, but Nobody talks about him because for years, historians, the FBI, the police, politicians, they didn't recognize that there was black organized crime. And in cities everywhere, I mean, whether it was Frank Matthews or what, uh, Nikki Barnes or, or Bumpy Johnson or whoever, um, this is all going on as well under the veil of, 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 of different nationalities. So. We got a guy this week we're doing that uh, was a drug dealer. Um, he gets to a point where he becomes obsessed with eliminating witnesses. He realizes that if no one testifies against me, I can't go to jail. Uh, and he starts to go to really wild costs to protect his uh, organization. And, you know, we're going to involve those folks as well. So, yeah, there's so many ways we can go with it. And, and we're pretty happy with it. I just mentioned uh, the Capone episode, which I listened to actually today. Uh, the in Chicago and Cicero, no one would get on a jury against him because they were all scared yeah. of, they were too scared of him. And yeah, and that was the thing about Capone. He, you know, he, he was someone that, you know, lived with an iron fist. He would, you know, get in the, people didn't want to, you know, and people related to Al Capone as well. You know, you got to realize, you know, Al Capone was very giving in the community. He kind of became this Robin Hood type of figure. And, you know, people related to him. You know, they related to the fact that, you know, he kind of was like them. You know, and you know, they did he did stuff for them that the government wasn't doing. You know, remember that was kind of in the middle of you know towards the the depression and all that sort of thing. So, the prohibition. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, look at Al Capone. We talked about um, we talked about Gregory Scarpa with AIDS. I mean, Al Capone died because when he was younger, he worked as a bouncer at a brothel for uh, Jim, Johnny Torrio, and yeah, I used to sample the goods, and he got syphilis from a, a hooker that he had sex with, and at that time, penicillin was not invented. So he just kind of didn't deal with it, and put it off and put it off and put it off. And he put it off so long that once they had a remedy for syphilis, he couldn't, he couldn't partake in it because the syphilis had gotten to his brain and was basically eating his brain alive. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how people end up dying. You know, it's not always bullets uh, or, or whatever. It's, it's sometimes just negating your, your health. And then another thing, uh, I think uh, some of our, we have a lot of Chicago listeners. Uh, one of my favorite events in Chicago history, just fascinating to learn about is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which yeah. 
occurs occurred in that garage on Clark Street, which is right across the street, located right across the street from a famous uh, pizza joint, the Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder. It's just amazing. You had uh, Bugs Moran and uh, George Bugs Moran involved. I mean, Al Capone is rumored to do to, to is rumored to be behind this attack, but obviously it wasn't him, as you mentioned. I, he was in Florida, I believe. Or well, I mean, he definitely he definitely ordered the attack. It was he always had an alibi whenever he would do something. But you know, Bugs and and look, it was not only Bugs Moran. I mean, he had other people that he hated. I mean, Jaime Weiss was a, was someone he was scared of for a long time. I mean, he had to deal with Dino Banyan. He he had a lot of people that hated him. And, you know, the problem Al Capone had was he got to a point where he started spitting in the face of the government. And when you do that, um, you know, John Gotti's a prime example that when you do that for so long, um, Al Capone thought he was untouchable, that they couldn't get to him on anything. And look, to be really frank with you, they couldn't. I mean, they ended up only giving him 12 years for tax evasion because they couldn't connect anything to Al Capone. Al Capone had ordered the murders of a lot of people, hundreds of people died under the reign of Al Capone. And, you know, Al Capone did a lot of bad things, but only went to jail for a little over a decade because the FBI couldn't get him on anything. There was no FBI. They couldn't get him on anything. And he controlled Chicago. During Al Capone's heyday, it was talked about that he owned over 50% of the police force in Chicago, which is crazy. Insanity. Yeah. So, you know, they had to go to crazy lengths to get him. And you know, even like a John Gotti. I mean, when you look at people like John Gotti, he beat the FBI. He beat the rap a couple of times. And the only thing that was able to kind of break his back was, you know, they were able to get Sammy Gravano to cooperate and, you know, kind of make sure the juries weren't fixed and things like that. But, you know, the Gravano stuff was the end. If, if Gravano hadn't testified, who the hell knows what would happen. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in Chicago that's really fascinating that we haven't talked about that we will talk about, whether it's Tony Spilatro and, and, and him out in Vegas with – uh, casino that movie's based on his life and you know there's some really fascinating people tony accardo um who uh, was the boss kind of right after al capone um you know sam giancana I mean, he's kind of someone that was behind a lot of the kennedy stuff you know, chicago has a rich history and i've always said i think chicago is the most corrupt city in america i think it's always been i mean i think uh, you're right yeah i mean illinois might be the most corrupt state too yeah i mean back from the, the Capone days until now, uh, it's funny because, and it's not funny, but in the 20s, Chicago was a war zone. I mean, there are people dying left and right. And you look at today, there's been no meaningful change in Chicago. It's the same city. It's the same corrupt city. And it's still being led by the wrong people that have no care in the world but their own. Uh, so, yeah, we've got so many people to still do, but, uh, you know, it is so broad and it is so interesting. And, uh you know, we're, we're hoping that we we can keep it going. Like Sam Giancana, was he the guy that had uh, the rumored affair with Marilyn Monroe? And- yeah, yeah, Sam Giancana. Yeah, he's um, you know, was also there. There's rumors that the FBI went to him to kill Fidel Castro. Uh, you know, there there's there's so many stories, man. I mean, you know, we haven't even talked even about. You know, you probably don't know much about this. Even there was a trial that that really was just concluded. You know, in the late 2000s, uh, called the Family Secrets Trial. Uh, it's probably one of the most interesting trials in the history of Chicago and in the mob. It was basically centered around this family called the Calabrese, who were part of the outfit. The 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 the, the father, Frank Calabrese Sr., was this really horrific hitman that killed a ton of people, and he basically gets his brother Nick to get into the life with him and they become hitman and really big earners for the outfit. And then Cal Braves basically pressures his son into becoming a mobster as well. And, and by the end of it, uh, Frank Calabrese Jr. decides to cooperate against his own father. Uh, and um, you know, that's a, a wild story as well. So, you know, there are so many towns around America that have, fascinating stories and fascinating people. And, you know, I want to also elevate this to a point, Andrew, where, you know, I'm going into prison and talking to some of these people, you know, that have life sentences that are willing to talk about their life. And maybe we'll get some interesting things that we've never seen. And, you know, really try to put these people to the ringer. You know, I want to interview some of these informants and say, you know, why'd you do this? You know, you took an oath, you know, you were, you were playing in dirt and you got dirty. Why did you throw everybody under the bus? You know, why'd you, why'd you become a rat? Yeah, exactly. I, and I think those questions need to be asked to some of these people. And uh, you know, I, I've actually, it's one final thing I'll say I'm actually, uh, and this could be dangerous. I don't know, but 
I'm actively writing to people in prison right now that are doing life. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of get to know them a little bit and seeing if maybe they would someday come on my show. And, you know, some of them are in life sentences. They're old men at this point, And I don't know if they're willing to talk about what they've done, but uh, you know, who knows what will happen? Who knows who I'll see someday. So yeah, I just keep just, it all open. Uh, yeah. I, I love what you're doing. And like, as you said on the Al Capone episode, like Chicago, there's, it's pretty much been the same there. I mean, obviously now there's parts, there's beautiful parts like river, North side, yes. Lincoln park, grant park, that whole area. But there's also sides you don't step into. Yeah. And um, blackjack said that perfectly. And then a lot, one thing I like to bring up is uh, uh, the two, the evolution of the, the two ballparks, Wrigley Comiskey, whatever they call now guaranteed rate, just uh, Wrigley was just in just as bad of a neighborhood as Comiskey was up until about the eighties when the mafia kind of died down in Chicago. Cause I remember my dad, who was a little kid back in the seventies would say that like that Wrigley field was in a very tough area. And like just the whole city of Chicago from like 1920 or 1910s, honestly, to the eighties, like was a pretty tough area. I mean, I think though you have to look at kind of, I think the other side of, you know, and, and I've had people tell me like, I, I almost uh, root for the mob, which I've actually said, and I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. I think this was a safer country with the mob around. You can argue all you want about it. It's proven fact that in Philadelphia, when the mafia was big around here, crime was really low in South Philadelphia. And you can go to Queens, you can go to New York City. Um, crime's a lot lower than it is now. You know, I don't think you're going to be committing crimes with, with some of those folks walking around. Um, you know, I'm not saying that the mob are good people. They're not. I, I think they really prey on their own communities and they do things that, that they shouldn't do. But, you know, they, they don't really involve the public. I mean, they, they kind of deal with their own things. And they also did things that were really heinous things like chop people up and, and, and kill people that they shouldn't. So I don't know. I think there's always an interesting side to each story. But, you know, the guy we're talking about this week, and I, I urge everyone to listen to it because I don't think any of you know who this guy is. You know, this is a guy that belongs in prison. I think prisons were made because of people like him. And we'll tell you why that is. And there are a lot of bad people in the drug game and and, and they involve innocent people. And, you know, all these people are criminals at the end of the day. And I think that's something that we need to say also. Look, the mob is still around for sure. Uh, Whether it's Chicago, whether it's New York, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's, you know, there are certain cities where it's not like the mob's not in Las Vegas anymore. The mob's not in, 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 in um, you know, L.A. anymore. But you know, there are cities, you know, the mob is still around. It's definitely in Chicago. It's definitely in Cicero. It's definitely in Rosemont, I'm sure. I don't know the individuals that run it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of organized crime around. You know, the five families are still going. The difference now with the five families than in the 80s or 90s is we don't know who the pecking order really is. I mean, for instance, the Colombo crime family, we still have no idea who the boss is. They haven't had a boss since... Uh, Carmen Persico, you know, passed away a couple of years ago. So they're very underground now. Uh, they don't and do things out in the open like they used to. Uh, All right. I think we got one uh, one big question here. Then I'll wrap the, the show up. Uh, yeah. What content do you like or do you enjoy making better sports or mob history? Uh, well, look, I, I like doing both. Um, I will say that I think the gambling business is very watered down now. Um, and I... I'm not going to say I ever quit, you know, trying to become something in that business. I know I never will be because I don't fit the mold of what, you know, big companies like ESPN or those places are looking for. I don't think I'd ever work for a place like that anyway. I like to be able to say bad words and stuff I shouldn't say and stuff I shouldn't say. Uh, so I, I still enjoy basketball. I still enjoy football. And I think the summer's become a little mundane, but I, I'm so excited for football to start. And I still there's no bigger passion I have than on a Saturday waking up and, and, and betting on games, you know, in the winter, some of the greatest nights I've ever had were because I bet on sports and um, I'll never lose the zeal for, for basketball, football. So I would say probably deep down, I love doing both. I love talking like the college basketball show I did. I used to love doing that, you know, and I truly think that show deserves being on somewhere as well. Cause I think it helped a lot of people and people liked it. And I'll say right now, you know, the show I'm doing now, I like doing, but I like them both equally. All right. Yeah. I think that's a great place to put uh close, close the book on this episode of the podcast, but 
once again, uh, Jeff, thank you for coming on. You can uh, follow Jeff. Uh, why don't you uh, plug not only plug the show, but plug your uh, personal social media. Pages. Yeah, just, uh, you know, if you like what you hear, you, you enjoy what I'm doing, check me out on Twitter at Jeff Nadu. You can also uh, check out my podcast, The Sit Down. Uh, you can find it on any podcast platform that you want. We have uh, 12 episodes. Maybe by the time this is out, we'll have 13. And I, I think it's important to make clear you do not have to listen to every episode in order. Uh, we have a beginning, a middle, and an end to each episode. Uh, and everyone's different. So, you know, we might talk one week about Acapone and then Greg Scarpa and then, you know, whoever. So you can start wherever you want. Um, they're all fascinating episodes and, um, you know, they all have a purpose. So, yeah, uh, check it out. And, you know, make sure you keep supporting Andrew. He seems like he's doing a nice show here. And, uh, you know, I'm welcome. I'll come back whenever you want me. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jeff. And yeah, if you ever want to talk to us, uh, we'll be on we're on Wednesday night clubhouse with the stoolies. Yeah, I love those. I love those guys and girls. So I, I'm always I always try to find my way over there, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, at least every week and try to say hello. And sometimes I'll hang you know, because a lot of the time I'm just sitting here, you know, watching a game or whatever. I have it on the background. It's like listening to a podcast, you know, and, you know, you know, it's fun to, to interact with other people. And, you know, I got nothing better to do. So I'm a bit boring in that retrospect so. <laughs> all right so uh yeah once again i'd like to thank you for listening or watching to the podcast make sure you uh follow zoomer sports on instagram twitter uh follow our tiktok subscribe to our youtube uh, just thank you guys for watching make sure you go follow jeff on all his uh platforms but thank you guys for watching and thank you that is it i mean just uh end the recording real fast